0: Jocelyn, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, can you hear me?
0: Awesome, yep, yep. Alright, cool. Alright, ladies and jets, welcome to AMV Podcast. And before we get started, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been supporting Season 1 all the way through Season 6. And by the time you guys hear this, this will be Season 6, Episode uh, 14. And um, this next guest nice. right here... I've been, get, <laughs> I've been getting a chance to uh, build with her a little bit off off, um, off air and I think that what she's doing in 2022 is one of the most difficult things she can do in 2022 in America I have so much respect for stand-up comics and um, I think that her material is very, um, it's very shocking but it's smart, <laughs> it, it's clever I just love seeing a Filipino woman talk shit and um, <laughs> and she's based in LA, she's definitely killing it in the um, Anaheim scene, um, she got some shows coming up at the House of Blues, definitely consistent on the open mic circuit, and I know she got a show coming up in Vegas, so ladies and gents, without no further ado... Um, and by, before I get started, and I just want to add, I'm happy to see a Filipino american doing her thing in the in the stand-up comedy circuit. And without no further ado, ladies and gents, we got this Jocelyn Abad in the house. What's up, Jocelyn?
1: What's up, Marlon? Thanks for having me. Oh my God, what an intro. <laughs>
0: uh- <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate you.
1: Of course. And um, just, I, I think I let you know. That um, yeah, you we are officially popping a charity right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Why, why is why is that? Um. So it's so interesting. Um, I've so in the past year and a half, I've had tons of people um, approach me or like invite me to be in their podcast, and I'm just nice. like, yeah, 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 yeah. But um you were the first to actually get me (laughs) (laughs) to do one Um, and I mean no shade to anyone but you know what I mean like you know you do your initial reach out just to see if someone's interested you know and then unless someone like really locks out a date and time or offers to pay me you know what I mean it's like um, it it never really even happens so please be kind and gentle this is my first time (laughs) but no I'm actually really excited to be here and wow so many seasons and Episode 14, that's amazing because that's actually my birthday. So, yay. No
0: way. Mm-hmm. Your birthday's yeah. coming up. That's right. You got your birthday coming up next week. You'll be in Vegas. That's awesome. Um, Wait, so
1: real quick, though. <laughs> Go ahead. Were you born in the United States?
0: I was not. Were you?
1: Oh, okay. I was. I was. Joe. So, then Dope. how old were you when you came to the United States?
0: I was 10 years old. Yep.
1: Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah. So, Joss, I like to ask all my guests where were you born and raised?
1: (laughs) I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm completely Angelino egocentric. Um, Mm -hmm. It actually says Los Angeles, California on my birth certificate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So, when people complain about LA people, I actually take that very personally. Okay. (laughs) It's like what transplants with implants are you hanging out with okay you know <laughs> and um no i i actually been really lucky that my parents landed in la nice. and i spent a majority of my adult life in southern california yeah so born and raised in la and yeah that that's the answer to that question oh and i mean side note i was also born high at 4 p.m <laughs> stop no you weren't not by weren't. choice not by choice um, right. I was a C section. Okay. No, oh, it literally says 1620. 1620. Oh, oh mm-hmm. wow. I know, right? Anyways, that's like my little humble brag. <laughs> where, where were you born and raised? Sorry. See, it's kind of, see, this is my first podcast. It's like, as much as you're interviewing me, <laughs> I'm like, it's like Julie Andrews, okay? Getting to know you. <laughs> Poppins. I forget. Anyways. Oh,
0: my God. Well, I was born in the Philippines, and um, when I was well, 10 part- years old, Well, I was born in Manila, but I grew up in Antipolo. It's it's in the you know it's in Manila area, and um, when I moved out in 1995, I moved straight to Oxnard, California. So I grew up in Oxnard too. So yeah.
1: Oh my God! Did you say Mm -hmm. Antipolo?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: am... In 2015, my mother's family did their first like big family reunion gathering, Ah. and I'm wearing the T-shirt. I'm wearing the T-shirt that I wore at the diversity mic the other night, and it was in Antipolo City. Awesome. Yes. What? Small world.
0: Yes. (laughs) Let me ask you this: Like, do you even know what prompted mom and dad to move to the U.S.? Like, what made them move to
1: the U.S.? Oh, okay. So, um. It was right around the time of World War Two, So, my mm. mother, my, my grandmother came over, you know, the slick Filipino way she, she uh, hooked, hooked up of my guy and, and he brought her <laughs> over. I don't know. That's the word of the street. That's, that's how you get over here. But, uh, so, so, so as far as I know, as, as far as I know, my parents came to America for refuge. Yeah. Like, like their parents knew that they that probably would have a better quality of life um in the states. So yeah. And um hold on. This notification's been me crazy, so gonna Grammy Gravy so I turn it off. Not even. It's my volleyball team, okay? But anyways, uh <laughs> my my dad came over in nineteen seventy at the age of seventeen. Mm-hmm. And my mom came over seven years later in nineteen seventy seven. And oh, cool. um Mm-hmm. So that's, that's also another, another interesting thing was like because I'm thinking 17 America, 1970, I automatically think like, wow, that must have been like a really cool time. But when I asked my dad, I'm like, dad, what was it like being 17? And And he was like, racist <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what it was like for him. And so it's just like, oh so yeah. Where are your parents?
0: <laughs> my mom is still in an Oxford, and my dad's in the
1: Philippines. Okay. Oh, yes. Do you speak um, the language?
0: I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Do you?
1: I conte lang.
0: Uh, dope, dope. Um, let me. So describe LA. What was where in LA? Where in LA did you up?
1: So I was actually, I was born in LA, like the City of Angels Hospital, uh, but then my family moved to uh, East LA, uh, so I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley in the hood um, of Pico Rivera. Yes. And um, so I was the Asian girl amongst the Mexicans. They They were, they were, they were fun. (laughs) <laughs> and to my mind, he was like well, I don't know how old. What year were you born, Marlon? If you don't <laughs> know, <asking? laughs>
0: you first, you first go, you first. What year were you 84. born? Eighty
1: four. I was born in eighty four.
0: I was born eighty four too. Yes. yes.
1: Perfect. Okay. So yeah. So we're the same generation. So, it, so I grew up in the hood in the early nineties, and it's like a lot of like gang banging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then so, so then by the time it came time to go to high school, I actually opted to go to. A private school in Pasadena. So yeah. for the first, yeah. So I did a commute from. I did a thirty-minute commute from Pico to Pasadena <laughs> to go to yeah. school with all the white kids I <laughs> so needed, the, needed to get out of the Mexicans. Yeah. But yeah. Um,
0: do Mexican? you have si- <laughs> Do you have siblings?
1: I do. I have two older brothers. Uh, cool. They were born in um, eighty-nine and. No, eighty no, nine and seventy one. Yeah, I'm not a, see. I'm not an even good at math. So when people ask my brother, uh-huh. I literally tell them what year they were born, and I'm like, you do the math.
0: <laughs> Let me so, ask you this. Uh huh. Good. Like growing up in L. A., can you describe that for me? Like, how, how does it affect your content in any way? As a stand up comic, just just being raised out there, how does that influence your style in your comedy in any way?
1: It's so crazy because, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, comedy is a craft, right? And so it's, you can actually learn how to do it, you know, because there's this whole thing, there's a whole whole debate on who gets to call themselves a comedian and when, you know what I mean? Just because someone gets drunk one night and does an open mic and, you know, gets up, like, you know, and they start all of a sudden they start calling themselves a comedian the next day. Like, no, that's not really, like, how it works, you know? And an- another way of that is, like, the difference between a comic and a comedian, okay? So, and again, I just started doing comedy a year and a half ago, so a lot of, I'm, I'm still very much, like, in a learning phase of attitude as well, like, you know. And so from what I was taught by Steve Norris, who wrote a book called How to Kill in Comedy, um, Developing Your Comedic Character, uh, he says that you know comics uh, are observational, and a comic, something a comic, a joke a comic says anyone can say. So mm-hmm. a comic is a so so a comic is someone like you could they could get jokes written for them and then they perform them right. Whereas a comedian is like a person, a personality, an image, you know, like a vibe, you know, and uh, so that's that's the difference, right? And so <laughs> when Steve North breaks down the comedic character. uh, There are four parts, okay? The first is a flaw, what is inherently wrong and and crazy about you. Uh, The second is a blind spot, where it's like a perspective where you like, it's basically a perspective opposite your flaw. And then you have an attitude and an agenda, okay? Your attitude is how you approach your audience and your agenda is like what you want to achieve. And so um, I'll just give a quick example uh, that I can think of. So Bill Burr, oh no, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, his flaw is that he he just he he's like, uh, what is it? The victim, <laughs> right? And his blind spot is that, um, oh shit, I'm gonna fuck this up just because like <laughs> I don't know very well. But anyways, um, so this is probably something I would be like, edit this out just because like I'm missing it. But um, because I want I want to give I want to give a good example, you know what I mean? Because I I because because ultimately when i was when i started thinking about my comedic character um, my flaw is that like i i'm having an identity crisis right and cuz it's like um, i'm full filipino but like growing up my parents didn't really like immerse us in the filipino culture you know we're, we're in america and then um, so there's a detachment there and Um, So yeah, that's my flaw, that I have this identity crisis. But Mm. my blind spot is that I I, I think I'm alarmingly self-aware. I'm looking for the book right now. I probably shouldn't. But so for me, it's like, one, I didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up, or the extent of my Filipino experience was just my family, family gatherings, holidays, stuff like that. Right? So they weren't around all the time. And then, so from junior high, from kindergarten to eighth grade, I was going to a private school in Pico Rivera. And so I was with a bunch of Mexican kids, right? And uh, they were so awful. But not really. I can't blame them. You know, all kids are assholes at one point, right? But they would, like, they would like talk to my best friend at the time. And they're like, oh, you went to Jocelyn's house? Like, does this feel like fish? Like, do they eat a bunch of rice? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. eat fish and rice, you know? And I'm thinking, and, like, it's it's so weird how, like, they're, they're just naming a truth to be hurtful, right? So then I was sick of that environment. So when it came time to high school, I opted to go to a private school in Pasadena. And so I went from a bunch of Mexican kids to a bunch of white kids, right? And like polar opposites, too. I went from like a poor Hispanic neighborhood to like a pre- like prevalent um, white neighborhood. And then there's there's a whole another way of like identity crisis there where like the running joke at this school was like you could fit all the minority kids on one little like lunch table, you know? And um and then after that I ended up going to Glendale College uh, with a bunch of Armenians and then eventually made my way down to San Diego State University where I was go school with a bunch of hot people in every race and color. And um, <laughs> so but I'm a true <laughs> I'm a true so caliber. You know?
0: He's so crazy it's, girl.
1: Dude, girl dude. <laughs> And then it's like have you ever been a stagecoach? Uh
0: uh. Okay. Stagecoach like, was like what's that.
1: Stagecoach is the country music festival. It, it's like oh. it's usually after Coachella. Mm, it's like Coachella is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Coachella, and then I remember when I went to Stagecoach, and it was like all these fucking hot white people. I was like, oh my god, I'm back at like San Diego State University. But <laughs> maybe, so it's like for me, it's like growing up, and growing up with immigrant parents. Like I kind of, I, I joke about it, and I'm, I'm still working on my material very much. though, but it's like I kind of inherited this weird like ignorance from their innocence. if mm. that makes sense? You know what I mean? And, like, case in point, my parents didn't know what the fuck a FAFSA was when, it, when I was applying for college. You know, the, the free application for federal student aid, they didn't know what the fuck that shit was. And we almost got scammed, too. And I was like, God damn it! <laughs> so, like, yeah. And, um... Yeah, because you asked me what it was like growing up in L.A. and in Southern California. And so, yeah, my main point is, like, growing up with this huge identity crisis. And even to this day, it's like... Ah, I know, like, I'm... I I'm gonna I'm gonna be the face of like female Filipino American girls. You know what I mean? And I have the, I have my joke about how like, you know, on paper, according to the US human resources, I'm all Asian, but then on screen casting directors have me as ethnically ambiguous and then on the street it's like I'm black adjacent, you know, so I'm still figuring it out but, but I but you we know gonna hate on it because for me that's the beauty of America melting pot you know Mm. so as much as I have this identity crisis it's like I I, I couldn't have asked to grow up anywhere better maybe maybe Mm. New York but I love it I love being for ballet
0: let me ask you this so you graduate high school in your mind what was your plan like what was the major that you were going to get into I I know you (laughs) went to community college and and then you went to San Diego State but what was your plan in your mind like what what were you going to do
1: so here's a side story. So, you know, and this is what I talk about on faith too. It's like, you know, Asian immigrant parents, there are two kinds, okay? And there's, right, there's the intelligent kind, the ones who came over as business owners, dentists, doctors, you know, Donut King, you know, that guy. Stop, stop. And stop, then stop, stop, on baby. the other side, I'm not going to say ignorant, but I'm going to say innocent kind where like Mm -hmm. they're literally here just to survive they're here for refuge they are here for fucking four walls and a roof and a family you know like and they're they're like survive they're about it's about survival you know it's sustaining and so so that was my parents and um like what was the question again sorry
0: so and when you graduate high school, oh, like, okay. in, your, yeah, in your mind, so, what, what were you going to do in your mind? Like, what's your plan?
1: So here's the thing. So like, so the intelligent Asian parents are the ones like who want their kids to fall in their footsteps, become doctors and lawyers and engineers and all that jazz. And they push school. My parents were just literally like, go to school, go to college, get an education and get a job that was it and then Mm -hmm. and then they caught wind of like the mainstream expectations and like oh yeah and then my mom went out of nowhere my mom was like oh I want one to be a doctor a lawyer and an engineer and I was like okay well my oldest brother became a jet engineer for the navy so engineer sure my brother my second brother became a nurse so like doctor, and then at one point I was like should I become a paralegal I don't know no I just opted to be a disgrace um so yeah so basically like so for me, growing up, a majority of my, a, a majority of growing up, like, I, again, I say this, I love my parents, but they just didn't know what they were doing, and I can't blame them for that. So like, I, like, they didn't, they didn't push a, a particular career on me, you know what I mean? And they almost like had this weird faith that like, oh, I'll just figure it out on my own, you know? And so ultimately, after, after high school, um, I went to a small private school in Orange County called Chapman University, because nice, they nice. have, yeah, because they have a, they have a film school. Nice. You know, and I, I was like, ooh, I'll go. So I didn't I didn't initially apply to get into the film school, but I just figured, okay, I'll go to Chapman, and maybe I can, like, weasel my way in there, you know? But then again, we didn't do the FASL. So uh, first semester, one semester at Chapman, $16,000. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I only went there for one semester, and then I had to withdraw um, after that first semester, and then I moved back home, and I started going to community college. And so... um I didn't know, yeah, I, like, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, like, again, I was just, I was just like, going through the motions. Like, oh, yeah, go to college. Oh, I'll play sports. Like, kind of just, like, going with the flow I say. And which is nice, but then it's, like, after a while, you're, like, well, fuck, dude, like, where the fuck is the flow, it's flowing me? Like, at some point, I have to take charge of it, you know? And it's, like, and I, I'm barely doing that now, you know? So, yeah, I, I didn't have a very good direction for my parents. But I had their support, you know, which, which I guess is, like, a lot, you know, it's more than you can ask, you know, and, and like, I'm grateful that they like made it to America, so, but yeah, I didn't know what I was doing with my life, I still don't now, but I have, a, I have a better view now because like, I'm actually pursuing my passion, you know, I figured it out, what I want to do, and here I, here I am.
0: I love it. So you go to the, uh, San Diego State University, and you're Maya, what, what was going to be your major when, when you went to San Diego State?
1: Okay, so when I was in Glendale, when I was at Glendale College, um, one semester I was taking public speaking and interpersonal communications and, like, the other communication class requirement. I was taking all three in one semester, and I ended up having the same teacher for all three. And she basically came to up to me. She's like, hey, you know, you're taking all these classes. It, you qualify for a communication certificate. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll do that. And then after have, after seeing me in a public speaking class, um, class um she basically is the one who planted the seed of like you should really study communications I think you do really well with that and I was like oh okay and so that's what ended up happening when I went to when I transferred to San Diego I I basically looked up a major I could do with like the least amount of like that I looked at the degree I did the math on getting uh whatever degree I could get with like the least amount of credit to get there does that make sense like i was about to go to yeah. in med school you know so so yeah so i ended up just but on her feedback i just ended up pursuing communications and then Dope. i did that and then my thinking was like communications is like it's a degree that is applicable to any and all industries so hey nothing
0: so what year did you graduate sdsu uh 2008
1: Dope. 2008
0: so from there, you graduate SDSU with a communications major. What was the next step for you?
1: So I San Diego's a gorgeous place. I mean, yeah. like I said, it's like all the hot people just like marinate <laughs> down there. You know what I mean? They just marinate <laughs> and multiply down there. You know? And um and, <laughs>
0: Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, and here's so the thing fucking crazy, dude. So and here's old. the thing. All right,
1: go. <laughs> And here's the thing, so... I don't... I don't know... Because we're the same year, so we're the same generation, so... Yeah. I don't know if you know about this, but like... When I went to San Diego State University, I was only there for two and a half... Two and a half semesters, like... Yeah. Two, like, January 2005 to May 2008. Dude, in that two and a half years, SDSU made fucking CNN breaking news. Twice. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And not for anything I would brag about. The first CNN breaking news headline was... A mutant outbreak of an STD. Oh, really? Yeah. Ugh. I got a call from my Lola about it because she watches the news and shit. Oh, my God. There's nothing more awkward than convincing your grandma that you're still a virgin. Okay? Like, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, Lola, sex? What is that? No, 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 no. <laughs>
0: oh, my God, dude. And then All right.
1: <laughs> and the second time STD made CNN breaking news was for a Operation Sudden Fall. Which is the biggest drug bust in college campus history in oh, the United shit. States? It was a co-op uh, with the, the DEA and uh, San Jose State Campus Police, which are basically sheriffs and stuff. And yeah, like that was insane. So by the time I was graduating, by the time like the bust happened. The bus basically started when I got there and then they pulled the trigger right, right when I was about to graduate. And there were people like, we were two weeks away from graduation. like So there were people who like, were not gonna be graduating that year. So all this was happening and um, I'll admit it, like had they had they pulled the trigger maybe a, a semester or a semester and a half prior, they might've been knocking on my door because at the time my, my buddies who ended up living with me temporarily, homie he thought he was Pablo Escobar himself okay like he was caught he was all caught up in like that scene and so 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 ultimately I basically knew that I was gonna come back home to LA I knew since I graduated I was gonna come back home to LA I love San Diego but like again like I know and then this was the same. This was around the same time that they used to have San Diego Street Scene and Tool performed when their 10,000 Days album came out and that's when I do 31 died at standing street scene and shit. and I was there for that so like so for me the universe is just like you're having your fun here Josh but like we're gonna go back home to LA so after I graduated uh, college I moved back I moved back home to LA um and my cousin hooked me up with an interview with a performing arts school in Hollywood and I just started working there in their office and stuff so yeah again no direction really? just like just <laughs> just follow the breadcrumbs <laughs>
0: And I know we were speaking earlier, you were saying that when you were a young child, you were already pursuing the arts. Like, you were already singing, acting, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. like what else form of arts were you doing growing up? Like,
1: So, here's the thing. So, yeah, my parents, I don't know if they knew my potential or if they just knew that if you kept your kid busy and active, they would keep them out of trouble, right? So, yeah, from the ages of 5 to 10, like... My parents had me acting, singing, modeling, dancing, and uh, ballet, jazz, tap, acrobats, gymnastics, musical theater, the whole nine yards. And I believe that it's because they had me so active that, um, so I have ADHD. And I feel like growing up, <laughs> I was so active that, like, it masked the ADHD, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but then I had that moment when I was like, dude, there are, there are no kids on TV that look like, me. what the fuck? Like, and instead of thinking, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Instead, I, I, I succumbed to my parents, like, that innocence, that quote-unquote ignorance. You know, I, I succumbed to that self-consciousness of, like, okay, then that means I don't belong there, or that means that, like, it wasn't meant for me, you know? So then, when I was uh, in fifth grade, at the age of 10, um, my mother used to say, like, this is when I broke her heart, when I told her, the day I told her that, like, I wanted to stop doing all that acting stuff and pursue a different type of performance activity, and that's when I started playing sports. And because, like, uh, in fifth grade at the age of 10, that's when you can start playing sports at our Catholic uh, elementary school. And my mom, my parents, oh my God, they were like, fine, if you're not going to do this, if you're going to play sports, you're going to play all the fucking sports. So in fall, I played volleyball. In the winter, I played basketball. And in the, in the spring, I played softball of uh, my first year. And by my second season, um, I started playing club volleyball. So I was playing volleyball year round since the age of like 11 or something. See? Just keep me active, man. <laughs>
0: Out of all the like arts you were doing, dancing, ballet, which one were you drawn to? Like, which one did you did you find yourself enjoying?
1: It's hard to say, because um, I feel like I feel like in in all of in every activity, I always felt like the odd man out. Again, yeah. that, the the whole the whole like okay, I'm the only like this shade of brown kid here but hey you know and, and for some reason like I always did like exceptionally well and everything and like somehow and like was a kind of a natural born leader so to speak you know because mm-hmm. in volleyball I was a setter um, actually that's it yeah volleyball setting in volleyball I think because like they equate it to being the quarterback on a football team and um, some of the best times traveling as a kid playing volleyball and you know Um, Yeah, I'll say that. I'll say that. Yeah, volleyball. Which is a sport I still play to this day. But creatively, um, you're Filipino. You know what's up. So it's like, I feel like we're... we're, there's something in our genetic, like, material where we're, you know, like, we're, like, roasters or, like, trying to be funny and stuff, you know? Yeah. So... So definitely attention seekers. But no, so... They're... um, when I get asked, like, oh, like, why do you, why did you start, why did you get into stand-up? And I like, I share this story about how, um, I'm in fifth grade, I'm 10 years old, and, you know, I've been using comedy to cope and humor to heal basically my entire life, you know, to just deal with all these, like, awkward, odd man out situations I found myself in, you know? And I've been saying my, the whole, I, I say a lot, is like, the best is when you can look at yourself, smile and laugh, you know what I mean? Like, just not take life too seriously. So, uh, we're outside, I'm with my class, we're running around in PE, you know, and um, I said something, and I don't remember what I said, and that's really tragic, but I literally said something under my breath, and all of a sudden, my entire class just drops in laughter, like, ah, like, the whole class, and we're outside, so it's loud. All of a sudden, my teacher stops me, she's like, Jocelyn, that's not funny, and I'm like, ah, and she's like, that's hilarious, and I was just like, mind-blown. So for me that was that was definitely a defining moment in terms of like uh, being funny, getting getting attention for making people laugh, you know? And obviously like again, feeling kind of like the minority report, like I didn't I didn't realize like I could have been pursuing it at a very young age, you know. I, I wish, I wish I'd known then that like this is what I'm gonna be doing now twenty years later, you know, but instead I was just kinda like, ooh, this is fun, you know, making people laugh. And like you know, vibing. I like that. You know, I didn't. I didn't even consider it to be a career option. You know, so, so it's cool that it, it can be now.
0: Who was like your like um, top three comedy show, top three comedy shows in TV that you that you loved growing up?
1: Oh my god!
0: Like sitcoms. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, okay. So I'm heavily influenced by my father, who worked. My father. I love my dad. He has basically been working for cable companies since their inception, you know, since they first got created and started, you know, like we had a black box growing up, right? If you know what that is, cool. If you don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and so yeah. I grew up watching Friends and Seinfeld, you know, um, and what was that other one? I didn't watch Frasier. No, we didn't invite him Frasier, but um, so, I feel like I have to I have to name drop those because they're iconic like growing up sitcoms for me. Um, and there's another one that I've really Oh, Married with Children was another one, too, as well. But I thought you were going to ask me about um, stand-ups, like influential stand-ups growing up.
0: We'll definitely get there. I kind of like to see, like... I wanted to see if you were a fan of... Fresh Prince. I oh, yeah. I wanted to see if definitely you Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, you know, Martin comedy De- shows.
1: Yeah, Martin definitely, too. Uh... Oh, yeah, and, like, TGI, TGI Friday and stuff. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like growing up in the 90s, like, you were either one of those kids whose family had a TV or you weren't. You know what I mean? And I, I was a kid whose family had not just a TV. We fucking had cable and shit, you know? <laughs> and so, um, in fact, um, you know, I talk about how um, I don't know when or where my mind discovered the gutter stumbled in and got lost and trapped there. And I'm now thinking about it. It's probably around the first time I saw my first R-rated film, which to my recollection um, happened when I was in second grade at like the age of like six or something. And it was um, at home with my family in our living room. And it was, in my opinion, um, Steven Seagal's best film ever. Um, and the movie was Under Siege.
0: Okay. Mm.
1: You know? Are you familiar?
0: I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey before he went super psycho crazy, um, and Sylvester Stallone and other, a couple other, um, actors, but it wasn't the, like, merciless murdering and the, like, the violence that, like, got me, it was Playmate jumping out of a giant cake and then boobs on screen. That, that was the image I was just like, uh, I don't think this is probably for children, But here we are, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, yes, I was definitely a a heavily consumer of media since I was a kid, you know, uh, exposed to it early on and whatnot. So, like, yeah, I was one of those kids, like, I love playing that game, like, the seven or six degrees of, like, Kevin bacon. You you remember that game? You ever played that game?
0: Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh.
1: No? Oh, my God. So, like, yeah, growing up, it's, like, basically, you name an actor and some way you can connect that actor to other actors uh, other films with other actors and get to Kevin Bacon within six uh, people
0: yeah uh. so basically
1: it's like so you would start uh, I can't even do it uh, maybe I can where like you'd say like Natalie Portman so Natalie Portman was in Star Wars with uh, what's his name uh, Hugh McGregor right Hugh McGregor was in a film with such and such and such and such and then, and then eventually by the sixth person that w- they would be in the film with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Six Degrees of with Kevin Bacon. So, and, um, I love being that, like, media junkie who like to, who like yeah. So.
0: So let me ask you this. As far as, like, stand-up comedy, right? Who was, like, who did you look up to growing up? Or who did you study as, as you're coming up as a stand-up comic? Like, okay. how's your influences?
1: So, uh, my first can you hear me okay still? I don't know my earphones or yes. Okay, so my first um, exposure to stand-up comedy, interestingly enough, is like OG Filipino, Rex Navarro. Yeah. Are you familiar?
0: Yeah. Are you familiar?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, Husky boy, right? As if you are somebody. As if you are somebody. And like the joke about how the, he gave the baby chocolates, but it was like dog treats or some shit. I don't know. So that was my first exposure to like stand up, and so it's, it's it's niche like that. And then um and then uh I, like if I was to name drop people, I mean Joy Co- Joe Joy Koi, Ali Wong, and um uh, Nikki Glaser, Eliza S. You know um because again, but here's the thing: like as a kid growing up, like I was. I wasn't tapped into the comedy scene. You know, I I wasn't tapped into it like I am, like I got, like I was when I I hit high school. High around high school. Oh, you know what it was? Chris Rock, are you a fan?
0: Yes, yes, definitely.
1: So Chris Rock, the special that came out after Columbine. I think it's Bigger and Blacker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was the first special that I watched. and was like, holy fucking shit. Like, this shit is, like, hilarious and brilliant and just, like, oh, And then after that, he came out with um Kill, Kill the Messenger. And that's where he talks about the clear heels. Oh, so Chris Rock, I'll say that. Chris Rock. Chris Rock, by far, is, like, the first comedian where I just, like, idolized him growing up. Like, I was at, I was at a young age, and he had, he had these specials coming out, and I just thought, I thought he was just so smart. I mean, he even came up with a recent one on Netflix called Tamarine, which I fucking love. And I think, I think, and I think for him too, it's like it's his delivery, his character. You know what I mean? His his movement, and um, and like he's just smart, you know. And I feel like, oh, and Robin Williams. Sorry, Robin Williams is another really influencer. Did you ever see Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah,
0: yeah, classic. Oh my god,
1: Mrs. Doubtfire, classic. So yeah, Robin Williams growing up too as well. Um. But, uh, what's it, uh, Chris Rock was, like, I didn't know it, I didn't know then, but, like, he, he definitely, he's definitely, like, one, like, one of the ones that I was just, like, I want to do that, you know? But then, but still not even thinking, like, it could be possible, but, like, just, like, seeing him do his thing and have so much fun and, like, oh, I just remember, I remember, like, seeing that and being, like, god, that would be a lot of fun to do, but then having, not con- thinking it would be feasible. One, because I was female. But here we are, bitch.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, what are some of the challenges? I know mean, you've been doing stand-up comedy for about a year and a half. What are some of the challenges in the scene? Like, What are the difficulties that stand-up comics have to go through to get established in this?
1: Okay. Oh, great question. Very good question. So, again, like I'm still... Um, I mean, I'll I'll forever consider myself comic bambi. Okay? You know, on stage, all alone, inherently awkward, you know, learning my comedic, uh, learning my walk with comedic talk, um, finding my feet, feeling my funny, uh, making my jokes and punchlines land as best I can. But knowing me, eventually, I'll eat shit, slip, and fall on my ass. Maybe even face plant, you know? And um, so I'm still, I'm always learning, right? And... I, I think, I think I'm coming, I'm coming in at a time where um, there's definitely a, a push for more female voices. There's definitely a push for more diversity, BIPOCs, you know, black, indigenous people of color. You know what I mean? And so, so writing that way, it does give me a leg up. Like I definitely have like seen open mic announces saying like, if you're a cis white man, you know what I mean? like. Like, the, like, they'll favorite, like, anyone over that, you know? Which sucks with the cis white man. But you know what? Honey, honey boo boo, we've been listening to the white man forever now. You know what I mean? Like, let's let the others speak. And so, but, recently though, uh, it's like, creepy old white man, like, owns a comedy club in Hollywood. You know, like, you don't say, you know? And I feel like, I was just talking about this on a Twitter space, where it's like, the over objectification of women over sexualization of women that still exists very much so you know and so being a female comedian it's hard because you know we get criticized or and challenged like you know my debut comedy bit centers around the premise of that I'm an anal virgin and I've decided to save anal sex for my wedding night okay and oh my God. super blue like midnight dark blue and I didn't know what blue comedy was when I was saying this joke you know and the thing about it is, like, I don't really say that bit now to this day because I know how, like, <gasps> it is, you know. But if you were to ask me, I love that bit, you know. Like, I wrote that bit in, in the heat of passion, coming from my mind's eye, just, like, came out of me, you know. And, again, like, I, I write with such, like, precision and care. But, I, but, but then, so, so, so I love that bit, and I will I, anywhere – to anyone everywhere, you know what I mean? Because I love it that much. But I don't do it because of this heavy criticism that put, gets that gets put on female comedians to, you know, not talk about sex or whatever. But it's like, dude, like, what the fuck do you expect us to talk about if we've been objectified and sexualized our, like, majority of our life? You know what I'm mean? saying? So that's a challenge. And then, um, I, it's not nepotism, but like, definitely, like, you gotta, like, they say it takes comedians seven to ten years to find their voice you know and get traction and usually like usually comedians open mic for like at least a year or two before they get up on stage and do shows and I don't know I think for me it's like just coming in where I'm at age wise and with, with, my, with like, my life experience like even one of my comedy mentors Tia J she's been doing comedy for over 20 years and she told me uh, was like Jocelyn girl like she was like you are like like light speeding through years um in your career right now like for some reason I I don't know if it's like my over ambition or my ADHD that's like driving me but like you know I'm pursuing it and I'm pursuing it hot you know and like um yeah it, it literally blows my mind that it's only been in like a year and a half you know, I wrote an article, and in the article I talk about how, like, in less than two years, yeah, bitch, I went from the I went from the clubhouse to the comedy club, and I was I went up at the comedy store in Hollywood, California. You know, in less than two years, in, in less than a year and a half. You know, so, um, and so I I feel like I'm fortunate enough that like having that gusto, having that drive, having that like that fire, that has that's not that's not much of a challenge for me. The challenge for me is just you know. Like, getting there and, like, again, I I, I might, as, as confident as I am, it's, like, at the end of the day, I'm Filipino, and we're, we're actually a very humble people, you know what I mean? As a, mm-hmm. as a, you know, we can be pretty arrogant, but we're also altruistic and humble, so, like, um, I'm all about, like, teamwork makes the dream work, you know? And so, the challenge is to, like, get, is, like, trying to prove my worth in such a short period of time. But then, you know what? Bob Summer tells me all the time, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I guess that's that's a challenge for me, where it's like, like I want to get there as fast as I can, but I know to just take my time. You know? No doubt. So it's a waiting game. The waiting game, you know?
0: <laughs> there's, a, <clears throat> there's a couple things that's been happening um, in the comedy scene that's been kind of like, you know, it's been concerning people. I think one of the biggest things that happened this year is um, when was Smith slapped Chris Rock. That mm. was one thing. And then the other mm. one was when um was when Dave Chappelle got attacked and almost got stabbed at a uh, Rose Bowl. Um is that what things, happened? Uh, wow. yeah I mean the guy had a knife. No doubt. Wow. Um with these things happening what's your thoughts on it as a sound comic? When someone would be like you know y'all been getting attacked like physically attacked lately like so uh, yeah
1: so when the whole Chris Rock and Will Smith thing happened and I mean the Dave Chappelle thing by the time that happened at the Rose Bowl it, it was like a, it was like a slow roll leading up to that that, that moment right mm. uh, like all the public attacks on him and like his his jokes his opinions whatever um and you know with with the Will Smith and the Chris Rock thing it's like it's so funny like when I first start, when that first started getting talked about first question right out of the gate was it real or was it fake you know like was it was it planned or they was it candid or they planned it you know and for me that's irrelevant you know for me it's like i i am just like i'm i'm it's unfortunate that a comedian got assaulted publicly for telling a joke you know and for me it's like i don't condone violence against anyone you know and, Or I mean, well, maybe some people deserve a slap. No, I'm just kidding. No, but like, yeah, like I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't um, endorse violence. So yeah, that's just unfortunate and sad that that happened. And I mean, when I when I first started a year and a half ago, there were people talking about comedians getting sued for jokes and shit, and I was like, what the fuck, you know? So it's like, here's an art form that gets praised for its like. First amendment free speech like uh, I don't know if you know but um Lenny Bruce is a he's a stand up comedian and he was one of the first to uh, he was one of the first to get arrested for being obscene in in his sets and like and by obscene I'm talking like 1940s talking about a chick's bra and shit you know what I mean like, and, and cussing too for saying shit on stage you know like shit like stuff like that guys getting who got arrested for it so Lenny Bruce was definitely a pioneer for um, free speech and um it's concerning you know but but then it just you gotta remember that like we're all just humans having a human experience right and that guy tried to jump on stage and fucking stab Dave Chappelle well you know he could have maybe thought about doing the same to John Mayer the, the weekend before you know you never know but if you're someone who's going to be entertainment, if you're someone who's going to put yourself out there, um, it, it's, it's it's important. But you got to be mindful of the risks that you take. But it's just it's just sad that like people are forgetting that like we're here to entertain. We're not here to hate. You
0: know. No doubt. Um, one of my observations about twenty twenty two two is also about. Um, uh, the representation of the filipinos and, and the, the filipino-american voices from movies you got movies coming out with joe Coy. we got the lupia movie coming out um with all this publicity that we're getting right now and i, I want to give a shout to her uh she's been killing it in the B tip um i just think filipinos are getting represented at its highest right now and what's your thoughts yeah on that?
1: i mean Finally, like what the fuck, you know, like, uh, like I'm talking like, fucking Dante Bro, uh Dante Basco, fucking hook. you know, like he was the first like Filipino um on the main screen, you know, and like he, he's still yet to get his his like shining moment, and that just like breaks my fucking heart, cause for me Dante Dante represents. Had I had I had I pursued it at, at at a young age and stuck with it, you know, I I would have been like in the same kind of traveling the same way as him, you know, what I'm saying, or been in it for as long as he is. And it's just, I mean, I'm just gonna do it because like I'm not an agent good at math, but like I appreciate numbers. Like if you look up um, Dante on uh, Dante Bosco on Instagram, homie has six figures, 195 thousand followers on. On Instagram, and that's amazing, you know, and um, but it's like he's been around for so long, you know, and so, and oh, and Olivia Rodrigo, bro, right? Isn't she Filipino? You know, and um, I, I, I guess the only thing I can say about it is just like better late than never, you know what I mean? And 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 then I just encourage others to just. To just do it, you know, like we have enough nurses and mailmen um in our community, you know, like it's time to branch out. But I but I but I get it, like being a minority in America, like you we don't fathom these dreams. We we might have them, but like like a majority of our life we're probably thinking it's unattainable or unachievable or impossible. You know what I mean? And then it took it's taken me fucking thirty eight years or thirty seven years for whatever reason to be like no i like for the first time in my life i i i i always thought that i was going to have to work for somebody else and that was going to be my life you know and for the first time in my life i'm just like no fuck that you know like i could work for myself like i could be an entrepreneur i can be a business owner and, and i i could work in the entertainment industry and work for myself and not work for somebody else you know and so i'm just really happy and proud and like I'm fucking shout out to Joel Coy. Oh my God, hell yes. You know Easter Sunday, it's okay. You know it's it's a good, it's a step in the right direction. It's paving the way for future Filipino entertainers. You know, so ain't gonna hate. You know. Um, and then I I guess he has a I said that he, he has an ABC sitcom coming out too. You know, so it's just like, and he admitted I, I went to see his special twice in what well, I went to both taping because I'm OCD like that. And he admitted in one of the in one of the tapings that like. You know, he was going to do the late night show, and he got told to like take out the joke with the accent. You know, and it's just, ugh. it's like, I feel like now more than ever, we got to be fearless. We, we, we can't be afraid of failure. We can't be afraid of offending people. You know what I mean? Like, like we gotta we gotta be the voice for future generations. You know, so. Mm.
0: What's your advice for the upcoming comedian? What can they expect from this industry?
1: Okay. My advice for anyone in the entertainment industry is don't wait for your break, make it yourself. Okay. Mm. And, um, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. I don't know what gay ass band says it, but we're all in this together. You know what I mean? Um, there's a, there's a, there's a seat for everyone at the table, you know, Uh um, and like, and again, we're all just humans having human experiences. And with that, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna like, we're not, no one's perfect. We're not we're not robots, okay? Uh, this isn't the Matrix, you know. And just try to be mindful and kind, you know. Unless you want to be a unless unless you're a choose violence mean bitch, and that's like your lane. Fine, travel in that fucking lane. But like, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like. I don't, know, I don't know what the word is, but, like, I just, I I give everyone the benefit of the doubt that at the end of the day, like, no one's here trying to make anyone, like, in- no one's here to intentionally hurt anybody. You know what I mean? And, again, oh, we're no. just, we've all gone through some shit right now, and and it's weird how it's, like, so many other forces are pulling us apart and tearing us apart that, like, some people got to be the force to, like, bring people together. You yeah.
0: know? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so I just want to say, like, for all those pursuing stand-up comedy right now, and if you guys are listening to this interview, one of the things that I really respect about the craft of comedy, and stand-up comedy in particular, is definitely the live element. I think mm-hmm. it's, similar, it's similar to rapping live. I think if you're an MC, it's it's similar. And the other thing is... What I do notice about the greatest, the greatest stand-up comedians ever, that ever graced the stage, and one of them is Richard Pryor. Um, I think with Richard Pryor, there's no Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, Chris Rock, and the list goes on and on without Richard Pryor. And what I do notice about the greatest stand of comedians is when you really listen to their backstory and really do some research on where they come from and how they grew up, they definitely overcame so much trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe and, and Robin Williams admitted to this at the height of his coke addiction, I think when when it was time for Robin Robin Williams to sober up, they said that comedy was just healing for him because they would mm-hmm. really talk about they would really talk about their pain. And with that being said, I guess my point is, I know that being a stand-up comic, uh, you—I think the the real magic in this is turning your pain into comedy.
1: And right. I think so,
0: when standup comedians start doing that, I think that's when we really connect. Yeah, yeah. People,
1: because it reminds you of that. It reminds you of the human element. You know what I mean? Like we're all yeah. human. We're, 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 we all we all go through the same things. And like my yeah. mantras and platforms are. Cope with comedy, heal mm. with humor, and healing through hearing, you know? And Judy Carter, she has this whole, like, turn your punchlines or t- turn your problems into punchlines, you know?
0: Mm. So. And I think um, with what's happening in the country in 2022 and everything going on in the world, uh, we need some good stand-up comedians. And what I mean is we cannot let this, we can't let this art die because you guys are probably the only people that can speak the truth and make Americans laugh themselves, you know, because uh, yeah, we need it more than ever. I think mental health, comedy, I think all that ties in with each other in this country. And there's a lot of sensitivity going on right now in, in the country, mm-hmm. so I, I always think that stand-up comedy is um, at the forefront of controversy, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Yup. <laughs>
0: Let <laughs> like, me ask you this. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
1: No, I'm just saying, like, because then you're, you're, you know, there's different kinds of comedians out there, and like, um, and like, like, insult comedy is still a thing, too, as well, you know. Um, but I don't know, no, ask your question. Sorry, I'm ADHD AF, so it's like, so what were you saying?
0: <laughs> I think Chris Rock's comedy is needed as much as Dave Chappelle's comedy is needed. I think, I think, Martin Lawrence, Eddie Murphy, I think the legends, we would like to see them talk about america more because this country's this country's changing um let me ask you you youtube
1: is burning books yo i'll just say it (laughs) you know what i mean like youtube is burning books. i literally had a tab (laughs) like a youtube video and then like when i went back the next day it was like oh this video has been taken down i'm like what the fuck so yeah it's like but then that's the thing like we're we're fucking we're the punching bag we're and you know what and and it almost makes sense that I would be a stand-up comedian because, like, I've like, I've always been that person where it's like, I'll take the hit, I'll take the hit, you know, I'll bite the bullet, I'll like, I'll go got, for start, You know, I know you got go a ahead. lot of
0: shows coming up. How do you prepare for your show? How do you feel the day of the show? What goes on through your head?
1: You know, it's so funny because like it's changed so much in a year and a half. Like, and like, and like, and no, no show, no two shows are the same. And honestly, like i i i write i actually physically write with a pen and a piece of paper like i did the first day you know and i physically write out my set verbatim word for word what i want to say you know um because i don't waste breath or words and um and then i i do that to prep but then after that once i do that once then i kind of like let it go and i just try to chill because then you know when you, you want, you don't want to have that, like, robotic monologue. Like, I guess you don't want to sound like a, a, a robot or, or sound like a monologue. But that's what, but my monolog is gonna make you laugh anyway. But, you know, you still want to make it, like, you're like you're you, you're casual, you're having a conversation. That's what it, that's what it's always supposed to be like. You're having a conversation with people, you know. And, um, I mean, I always get, I, I get the, what I call the appropriate amount of anxiety before I go up and say. But then the second... I hit that stage, and I get my first laugh, like, ugh, it's fucking, it's addicting, it's a drug, and, um, yeah, so I, I actually wrote an article about how I started doing stand-up sitting down on Clubhouse Social Audio, and, like, um, and I share the story of, like, you know, when I, like, the events leading up to me coming out of the comedy closet, which includes the first time I ever performed at a, at a show at a comedy club, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm gonna, I gotta attach it to my website, com, but, um, I, I realized I didn't answer this question before. You told me to give any future aspiring comedians or anyone who thought about it, yeah, just just do it, just do it. You know, and if you need me, hit me up. I'm on all the socials. I got your back. I'll push you. I'll prop you. You know what I mean? Like, because again, like every everyone's funny. Everyone is funny, but it's just you know it's just a matter of the people who want to engage in that adult attention taking behavior. You know what I mean? And I will be the first to encourage you. I will never tell you to, to throw out a joke. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like like I wanna I, I I wanna be that person who who makes who makes sure like every every color, every face, like every voice gets seen and heard. That's that's why but in order to do that, those who even like are even thinking about it, you gotta you gotta make that step, that plunge, you gotta like get up. So that's what I'll say. Hit
0: the thing. To so all those who are tuning in right now, I'm definitely gonna plug in Jocelyn's website, the Instagram, so you guys can follow her with all the upcoming shows you got coming up. Um, I guess, when I wanted to leave off with this. Um, the pandemic, you know, when, when the pandemic first happened, I know it's been like, the world, the, the country's never been quite the same ever since 2020. Um, how does that, how did that play a role in your transition into comedy or just, how did that affect you as a writer because at the end of the day you're a writer you know um uh, how um, does that influence you, your
1: content so when the whole covid lockdown pandemic hit um i i was grateful i was fortunate enough to not be one of the people to lose their job but i was unfortunate enough to be one of the people who got overworked um at the time I, read an, I mentioned the articles, like, I used to work with the developmentally disabled, so like yeah. special needs, and so like, I went, so, some people went from wearing, working zero hours, I went to working 60 hours, 60 week. Yeah. Six, you know what I mean, and, and, um, that, that really, like, stifled me in a way, but, I mean, again, it's a double-edged sword because, um, by the time January 2020, by the time January 2021 hit, I had a, my own mental breakdown at work, and I had, I set myself home from work that day <laughs> because I was just like mentally I was just like I cracked you know but know. it was that crack that like hit me that by the time it came time to do time and I've been talking about it you know I was ready to just strike while the iron's on I was just ready to just put myself out there you know and I was ready to just pour it all out of me and so um it's a blessing in disguise because like it it, it causes it causes the pain, but then it like it also fosters it, the the, the floor, the creativity and stuff. So and it, it, and it gave me the time to write, you know. I didn't, I never thought I, I'd have the time to write, and now I do and stuff. So like, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It happened. It's in the past. All we can do is like move forward and hopefully continue to grow from it. So,
0: you know. No, mental health is everything. Um, let me ask you this: like uh, in the stand-up comedy scene. Is it, is it shady? Is it competitive? Is there a lot of politics? Is there favoritism? Like oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, like it's like I think in any facet of the entertainment industry, it's not say really what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. You know, and like and that that's never gonna change, that's never gonna go away, away. Even when even when the whole like wine scene, me too shit happened, my thinking was I was like, Oh, you never heard the phrase sleep your way to the top? Like, yeah, it's like a real thing. Like, it really happened, you know? And it's unfortunate, it's sad. But like, um, and yeah, so for, for, for comedians specifically, it's m- m- motherfucking clout chasers, you know? We're like, I'm not an agent good at math, but like, I gotta pay attention to the numbers because it's like, it's that social clout that's gonna get you recognized or booked or get, at least give you like, some like edge off, uh, over somebody else, you know? Like I've only been doing it for a year and a half, and in the year and a half, I've met a lot of comedians who've been doing it for like more than for longer than me. And like, I, and I, and like humble brag, but it's like I'll have like three times as many followers as them. So, and I, so I'm thinking like either you're not that funny or I'm just that cool. I don't
0: know. <laughs> uh, oh man, Jocelyn, what's what are you what are you trying to accomplish for the rest of 2022? I know the year's about to come to an end pretty soon, you know. What are you trying to accomplish for the rest of this year?
1: Right, we're heading into what? The, the last the, uh, the last quarter, right? 2023. Final, the final that? quarter? Yeah, so yeah. it's like, it's, it's uh, October, November, December, right? This, yeah. uh, this last, um, so like I said, I wrote an article that talks about um, how I started doing stand-up sitting down on Clubhouse, and when I came out of the Comedy Closet, and uh, when I met Bob Sumner on Clubhouse, and for me, that's basically the little ripple, It's a ripple effect, where it's, like, from there, I want to write a book um, and tell my story about my first year in comedy, um, and, because a lot, like, I, I already, ha- like, I had I had villains, <laughs> you know, I had bitches coming at me two months in be like, I don't think you should just stand up, you know, and it's like, what the fuck? And so, like, um, and again, being female, being a person of color, it's, like, like, um, I'm, I'm not that 10-year-old kid anymore where I think that my voice doesn't, it doesn't belong there. It's like now more than ever, I realize that my voice matters. So the plan is to write this book, get it published, and then go on a combination book and comedy tour um, starting in 2023 and where the goal is to perform in all 50 states of the United States, within the 52 weeks of the year 2023, which is very doable and feasible. So yeah. That's that's the plan. So the last three months, the end of this 2022 is going to be a lot of writing, yeah, and a lot of doing a lot of stay time, and planning and prepping, and hopefully um, uh, networking and maybe and probably crowdfunding. I don't know. We'll see. But um, just get out there and get heard.
0: Good shit, yo, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I'm proud of you. And thank you
1: for having me. I feel so blessed and honored.
0: Yo, keep killing them out there. Keep talking that shit. All right. We'll do. And, um, yo, to all those tuning in, thank you so much for tuning in. And, um, I'm going to hit you right now. I'm, I'm going to hit you back right now. All right. We're to go. Okay. Thank you. MD Podcast. Thank you. We did it. Peace. Peace. Wait. Deuces.